Here's what's coming up on today's episode of Your Tagline Here. The truth of the matter is that uh, my usual stubbornness meant that I'd actually sort of um, decided not to go for the scan because I was due to go down to London to do some judging at a, at a national award. And, and okay. both my partner and my business director partner said to me, are you mad? There's something, go and get this done, mate. Yeah. And had I not done that, I wouldn't be alive today. So I'm glad I listened for wow. once in my in my life. And yeah. uh, it was extraordinary. And, and, and the, the speed and the pace of the journey from, right, you've got to go now, to going through the processes um, left me no time to think about it. I remember very vividly, just before I, I went under the, uh, under the anaesthetic, uh, they said to me, count to 10. And, and somebody had said to me, this could be the last thing you ever do. So make damn sure, you know, you come back. Fine. So as I was go going from 10, 9, I kept thinking, I'm not, I, I refuse to let this be my last sentence on this earth i've got more to say and uh, fortunately for me a few hours later i woke up uh, the surgery complete and uh, she'd done a brilliant job hello my name's simon tomlinson and welcome to episode six of your tagline here if this is your first time here then please do consider subscribing and share this with your friends who might enjoy it too if you have any questions comments or would like to be a guest on the show yourself then send us an email to hello at your tagline here this episode is sponsored by kick lab which is a digital digital marketing company based in Birmingham in the UK. KitLab have over 15 years experience specializing in branding, websites, search engine optimization, paid advertising, social media, and more. So if you want to grow your business online, just head over to kitlab.com, which is K-I-K-L-A-B.com. Today is a very special episode because we are joined by an incredible man called Austin Burks. Austin was originally diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer in 2018 and had an emergency life-saving operation which removed a tumour the size of a fist, fitted him with a stoma bag and he subsequently had 13 doses of chemotherapy. Against the odds, he managed to beat the cancer and was given the all clear from his doctors. However, the cancer came back again, not once, but twice. He had another operation in April 2020 amid the outbreak of COVID, and he's currently going through another course of chemotherapy as we speak. I know Austin personally, and I'm regularly blown away by his positive attitude and his ability to never give in, which is truly inspiring. He's a karate sensei at the Enzo Shotokan Karate Club in the West Midlands and the author of a very insightful, emotional and entertaining blog and YouTube channel called The Bag for Life, which I highly recommend checking out. He's here today to talk about his experience of fighting cancer, so I'd like to give a very warm welcome to Austin Burks. Well, thank you very much indeed, Simon. Hello, that, uh, Austin. Hello, good to see you. Good to see Welcome you. Welcome to the show. It's it's lovely to have you here. Well, it's, thank you. Um, yeah, and I feel very honoured actually to be able to uh, interview you and find out about your your story. Well, conversely, I'm very grateful for the chance to maybe share my experiences with you and uh, anybody else who also might um, go through the experience I've gone through. Yeah, exactly. And I think that your story is very inspiring for everyone but especially people who might be going through a, a similar thing so i'd like to go back to the beginning if we can and um how was it that the cancer was actually found and discovered and diagnosed in the first place well interesting story so 
I can almost to the day pinpoint the change in what I can describe as bowel movements, which was January the 1st, 2018. Um, best way to describe it, I'd always been a very regular kind of chap in, in the best sense of the word. And from that date on, I noticed there was a, a marked change in, in, in my bowel movements without being too crude about it. Um, that got consistently worse over a short period of time. So I went to see my GP and explained the situation to him. And the truth is, I'd never been ill before and I had no relationship with the guy because I never saw him. And he just said to me, well, it's your age, you know, you're at that stage now where really it's uh, irritable bowel syndrome, go to Morrison's chemist and get yourself some tablets, off you go. Um, so I did uh, and made no difference whatsoever. So mm. long story short, I went back three times and each time got misdiagnosed. So after approximately seven or eight months of getting decidedly more ill, losing weight, um, feeling terrible, and also very many people saying to me, your physical changes manifest. There's something wrong with you. Sort yourself yeah. out. I then took advice from my uh, partner and business director and went private to Nuffield Health and had a CT scan. And it was only because of that and purely because of that that they found this enormous tumour, which hadn't been diagnosed before. And then quite literally, I had a phone call from the uh, the, the, the doctor who, who did the test, who was actually on holiday at the time, and actually rang me up to say, I've just had a call from the guy, senior results, and you're in serious trouble. We've got a lady waiting for you. She's the best surgeon we've got at Warwick Hospital. You need to go right away, like now. So that was it. Wow. Off I went. And literally, I was just chucked headfirst into the whole journey from 0 to 60 and uh, remarkable though it was, um, having said that, my experiences were phenomenally fantastic. Mm. The NHS were absolutely brilliant, as I have been to this day since. Well, that's an incredible story in itself that you, you, you were seen three times by doctors and they all told you that it was nothing to worry about. Yeah. And it's, well, it's, it's lucky and, well, not just lucky, but it's down to your own... Uh, persistence in in actually going private and and getting getting that scan and if yeah. it wasn't for that then who knows what would have happened well the, the truth of the matter is that uh, my usual stubbornness meant that i'd actually sort of um decided not to go for the scan because i was due to go down to london to do some judging at a, at a, a national award and, and okay. both my partner and my business director partner said to me are you mad There's something go and get this done mate yeah and had i not done that i wouldn't be alive today so I'm glad I listened for wow. once in my in my life, and yeah. uh, it was extraordinary. And and, and the, the speed and the pace of the journey from right, you've got to go now, to going through the processes um, left me no time to think about it. Which I guess is a good thing in many ways, because at least you didn't have days or weeks or months worrying about what was going to happen. Absolutely. Because, absolutely. So how long was it from getting that phone call to actually going into surgery? A it's, matter of hours? It was. So I, we went in literally uh, within within the hour. And wow. um, because of my circumstances, I couldn't operate straight away because there was a, a complication which involves a great backlog of, frankly, diarrhea, if I'm being perfectly honest about it, okay. which meant they couldn't actually do anything to stabilise me, which meant 48 hours in isolation, which was fine. Um, and then the surgeon came in, who was a wonderful woman, and she said, you've got to have a stoma bag. I said, great. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> so she said, well, it means basically we're going to open your bladder and, and you can't use your rear passage for the purpose intended anymore. Mm. Therefore, we're going to pull your, your bowel through and that'll become your waste disposal unit. Okay. Where do you want it, gov, kind of thing, you know? <laughs> so I sort of said, well, what are my choices, left or right? So we went on the right okay. and that was it. So um, then we went into surgery. I remember very vividly, just before I, I went under the uh, under the anaesthetic, uh, they said to me, count to 10. And, and somebody had said to me, this could be the last thing you ever do. So make damn sure, you know, you come back. Fine. So as I was go going from 10, 9, I kept thinking, I'm not, I, I refuse to let this be my last 
sentence on this earth. I've got more to say. And uh, fortunately for me, a few hours later, I woke up, uh, the surgery complete, and uh, she'd done a brilliant job. Wow. So um, I want to find out more about the stoma bag. But before we do that, I just want to go back a little bit to when you actually got that phone call from the doctor saying that you had got cancer yep. and that you needed to have surgery. Yep. What what was going through your mind and what was the what were the emotions that you were feeling? <laughs> uh, I, I, I smile, I laugh, not because I found it funny at the time, I didn't, uh, only because, in fairness, the information being given before that was completely and utterly wrong. And even though cancer was an option within the process of the diagnosis, I'd been told that um, apparently it had all sorts of other strange and, and odd ailments, um, which had nothing at all to do with, with, with the cancer itself. So I was kind of um, confused, really. So when he said, it's definitely cancer, it's definitely bowel cancer, I was like, okay, fine. At least I now know once and for all definitively yeah. what the issue is. And I now know there's a plan to, to do something about it. Because before that, there was the uncertainty about not knowing what the issue was and not knowing what the actual process of, of, of the medication that might well, save me and, and keep me going. So all of a sudden, that overflow of information was actually quite palpable and quite powerful for me because it meant we've got a plan, we've got a problem. Therefore, we know what the solution is. So yeah. in that sense, I felt a degree of comfort. I never felt bizarrely scared or fearful of, of, of the word cancer. A lot of people I've met have said to me, oh, God, you know, once you hear that word cancer, yeah. that's, a, that's a death sentence. It's all the things that go with it. And actually, it's not. You know, it was 20, 30 years ago. But people like me who had no experience of it, until you in that world, don't realize precisely just how far, you know, the medical world have, have progressed the mm. treatments and in all fairness, you know, the, the ratio of success these days is far, far, far higher than it ever has been. I also think that part of that, though, is up to the individual response of, of the patient. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen this something time and time again in, in, in my treatments, and I've had over 50 chemotherapy treatments now in total. Really? Wowzers. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, what you, what you discover is there are certain people who kind of accept their fate and, and resign themselves to what okay. may happen. There are others who refuse point blank, <laughs> who say, no, 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 <laughs> up with this I will not be putting. I ain't going yet. I've got too much yeah. to do. And I can count on, on one hand, well, literally, yeah, one hand, people I've met who've been as equally stubborn as me, if, if, <laughs> if that's the right word. Uh, one guy in particular I was in, in a hospital ward with after my first operation. He was a, an incredible guy. He was a, he was a postman. And he'd had cancer for seven years, and he was in a lot of distress. And the cancer had gone and come back into different parts of his body. But the guy was a marathon runner. And in between each each new dose of cancer, he'd get up and do marathons. And he'd talk about it. You know? wow. and, and you talk to people like that, and you think, how can you do that? And then you think, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? And why can't anybody else do it for that matter? Yeah. So it's been, um, for me, the journey didn't have enough time to dwell on the negatives, which is a positive in, in my mm. circumstance. But since then, I've had plenty of time to dwell on it. Yeah. And it must, I mean, I, from, from knowing you personally, I know how, how positive that you, that you are about life in general and how positive that you are about overcoming cancer. And I'm sure that that must be such a powerful tool in helping you to get through the, the last three years of, of having to, to battle with cancer. But I guess there must be times when you dwell on the negatives as well. Absolutely. I mean, the thing with cancer is, I've come to realise this, is that you have to treat it like part of your life. It's not an abstract entity. It doesn't live over there in the corner. It's part of it. It's inside you at the end mm. of the day. When you think about the 
bizarreness of cancer. It's basically your own body, your own DNA turning against you to try and kill you. That, that's yeah. ultimately what it comes down to. And when you consider that, you therefore have to think to yourself, well, it's it's part of me. Therefore, do you try and work with it to beat it? Or, you know, do you fight it from day one and, and, and regard it as a sort of a, some sort of psychological enemy you've got to kind of go in there and defeat? Um, for me, I just took the view that thought, I'm not prepared to put up with this. Um, mm. I'm not prepared to accept it. I know it's there. I know it's dangerous. I know, I know it's going to try and kill me. And it's tried several times and got quite close. Yeah. But at the same time, I've I've always committed myself to the, the theory and the resolve that says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. And to be honest, Simon, that comes back down to my lifetime of studying martial arts, if I'm perfectly mm. honest. And that has been a core part of my resilience and a core part of my philosophy. Um, and without that, I honestly don't think that... The mental strength and the resilience, the psychological strength and resilience, but even more important, the physical strength and resilience. Because when you're fighting cancer and the chemotherapy, it's a tough, tough gig. You know, it beats you up. It, you're stuffing your body full of seriously bad chemicals. Yeah. And in order to sort of cope with that and deal with it and then go beyond that and still teach karate on a regular basis and still train and still try and give yourself goals and achieve those goals is a completely different mindset. Yeah, and that's incredible in itself. Like, let's just make it clear with uh, the views and the listeners that you're a, a karate sensei, which means that you lead other people to teach. You So you teach other people karate. You're a black belt and you're, is it sixth dan? Yes, correct. You, you got yeah. your sixth dan fairly recently, didn't you? I did, you? yeah. Um, so that's a really high level that you've got to. Um, and throughout your throughout this experience of having cancer, throughout having chemotherapy, you've still maintained that teaching schedule to other people, which is incredible. Well, to be honest with you, it, it's, it's, it's a strange one because I used the cancer and all that went with it as, as a motivation. Um, I'll give you an example of that. I've trained in martial arts for 50 years now. I've done karate for 46, 47 years. And it's been fantastic. It's taken me all over the world. I've done this, I've done that, done the other. However, when this arrived, when, when I realized I was a cancer patient, I thought to myself, well, you can either kind of, oh dear, poor is me, blah, 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 all that. Or you can say, well, actually, so what? So what? Yeah. What does it mean? Um, so I decided to use the opportunity. So I was offered an honorary grade of, of a six down, which after all the years of training is something which, which I could have accepted. And I said, no. I said um, to the guys who, who ran the organization, two great guys, I don't want to do that, thank you. Mm. I would like to do a physical examination and prove to myself that cancer, chemo, COVID makes no difference. I just want to, I want to do it and prove to you. And uh, it took some convincing, um, <laughs> to be fair. They, they were like, are, are you mad? I mean, why would you do that? And I said, because I want to make the point. It's not just about me. It's about people who are going through what I'm going through as well. Mm. That why should you restrict your goals? Why should you not achieve whatever yeah. it is you want to achieve in life? So God bless them. Pete Manning and Joe Ellis sensei's they put together a training syllabus for me. And, and I trained on that every day, converted my garden into a, a dojo, as we call it. I actually, with my partner, we actually hired out the village hall where we could with the COVID regulations to so actually practice the actual grading examination. Mm -hmm. Trained hard for a year, did all sorts of other physical exercise as well. And eventually on September the 26th, went into um, went down to Wiltshire uh, during the, the COVID break, as it were, and had a senior black belt course and then did a grading in front of a five-man panel by myself. And was fortunate enough to pass, you know, and uh, thank the Lord I did because mm. I'm not sure I could do it twice. Well, yeah, that's excellent. And and I think it's um, it's really brave and really commendable of you to not accept that honorary sixth Dan and actually say, no, I'm, I'm going to do I'm going to do it. 
uh, like like everyone else. Uh, so so fair play to you for that. With with karate, it gives. You've talked about how it gives you physical fitness and physical strength, yeah. which I'm sure is a really important part of overcoming any kind of illness, um, and especially cancer. Yeah. How? What is it about karate that gives you men- mental strength as well? Great question. So it, it's very hard to explain really to people who've not been in that kind of martial arts world, but the simple explanation is that it gives you the capability to test yourself to your utmost and then to test you more. So it will find out if you've got more inside you than you realise you had. Okay. So when you train physically after all these years, yes, you get to a point of physical physicality, as it were, where you get to the extreme. But then, you know, you never give up, you never get, give in. Mm. The old concept that someone was get knocked down seven times, get back up eight. Okay. And it's precisely the same in karate. And karate is split into three sections, what they call key on basic techniques, kata, which looks a bit like a dance to watch. And the third is what they call kumite, which is the fighting side of it. And kumite is really about overcoming yourself so if you find somebody better than you and and you're being beaten you don't give up you don't give in and i think the other key thing for me was i was influenced by two very very amazing people my instructor for 31 years was a a remarkable man a man called cyril cummings who died at the age of 79 from bowel cancer same as as myself he was an eighth dan and um he lived by the mantra of never give up never give in an extraordinary character to meet him in the street you'd never think this small little polite irishman was the absolute warrior and, and samurai that he actually was when he put a karate suit on and transformed into something different. And his instructor was a very famous Japanese instructor called Sensei Kenisuke Norda Ninth Dan, who also died of bar cancer. So I found wow. myself in this extraordinary triangle yeah. and I refused to be, you know, the end of the hat trick. <laughs> and, and I took the view that they'd given their life in, in, in pursuit and dedication of the martial arts and taught tens of thousands of people mm. all over the world and bettered their lives. And I thought, well, if I can just get one person you know, to not give up training maybe or to even take it up on the back of that, then that's a, that's one person, you know, which, which is a bonus as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. I didn't I didn't know a, a, well, any of that. Well, I, I know that you do karate, obviously, but I sure. didn't know the, the history behind to, it To be honest, well. it's quite remarkable because um, I did my, my second down back in 2003 just before Sensi Noida passed away. And I remember him saying to me in the changing rooms to, with, with, with Sensi Cummings as well, he said, I have very bad pain in my stomach, very bad. I'm going mm. to Japan. And he went back to Japan and he, within three weeks, he, he passed away. Oh, no. As uh, Sensi Cummings, he was um, showed his classic Irish fighting spirit and he hung in there for quite a long time. Okay. But, um, but eventually, at the age of 79, he had a great life and a good innings and uh, was a remarkable character, well-loved still to this day. Mm. But... That was that was kind of the um, the chapter that ended his his world, and in many ways, knowing what they both went through and and knowing them as I did, it kind of gave me that extra resolve to say yeah. I, I refuse to be part of that journey yet. Yeah, well, it shows that karate has had such a big influence well on your life, but absolutely in your ability to be able to beat cancer in in lots of different ways. I just want to come back now to your experience after the operation that you had finding out that you had a stoma bag fitted um can you explain briefly what a stoma bag is because there may be people watching who don't know what it is of course so basically when 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 should we say that the the rear passage for the purpose the good lord intended is no longer (laughs) capable of delivering the necessaries then the, uh, the surgeons in the past came up with this miraculous idea to basically just pull your bowel out effectively and, and, and use that as a means of, of waste disposal. Mm. So effectively, it's a little piece of, of, of your bladder that hangs out your skin. And what you have to do is you have to learn to 
nurture it and love it and accept <laughs> it as part of you okay. and you have to manage it. And it does require management. It does require TLC because people have the view and, and, and there are two extremes on this and I've, I've come across both. One is people have been mortified and absolutely repelled by the whole concept of having to deal mm. with this because you have to deal with it yourself. You have to put a bag on it to make sure it collects yeah. the contents. You have to clean it and make sure you're you know, doing all the right healthy things that you have to do to keep yourself fit and well, which can be tiresome and can be difficult, but it does have upsides, by the way, which I'll come on to later. Okay. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you take the view that says, I can't live with this, it becomes a remarkably difficult psychological battle. Okay. I took the view from day one, it's keeping me alive. That's yeah. number one. Number two, it doesn't mean I have to queue to go to public laboratories anymore. None of that nonsense. <laughs> I've got my own key, should I wish to use disabled toilets, which I never have. And it also means you have a lot more flexibility. So dare I say, you can you can achieve what Mother Nature intended while driving on a bus and no one knows a thing about it. <laughs> so there's none of the sort of antisocial sort of stigma that goes with, with that kind of thing. But there are serious downsides and okay. um, there are occasions when it can misbehave itself yeah. and there are occasions when you have awful sort of reactions and you can have terrible terrible things can happen you have to be prepared and ready for that okay. so you need to make sure you've always got the bags and, and the necessary equipment upon your person because I recently had an experience um, to my mortification where I didn't have that preparation I got caught out and it taught me a severe lesson let me tell you my friend uh, is, is this a story about the supermarket <laughs> It is. Okay. So let, let's hear about it because uh, the reason I know about this story is because I've read it on your blog and there's lots of other stories on there. So if anyone's interested, go to thebagforlife.com or is it .co.uk? Uh, thebagforlife.co.uk. We'll leave the, the link below, but now we'll get the, the live version from Austin. So yeah, please tell us about this embarrassing experience you Okay, had. Simon. So it was a Saturday afternoon. I'd been to the gym and uh, been working out. I felt great and uh, had my tracky bottoms on had the bag on, everything was good, thought pop to uh, pop to Morrison's, my, my store of choice, because it's next to the gym, my shopping list ready, and uh, it was a boiling hot day, I hadn't got my coat, and my coat usually have everything I need just in case, so cut a long story short, I was meandering around Morrison's with my shopping basket, as you do, picking up my bits and bobs, and all of a sudden I had this rather strange, rather cold, calculating feeling of dread that only comes with a bit of stomach experience, and I put my hand under my t-shirt and I realised the bag had gone, and unfortunately <laughs> the contents of the bag hadn't. Which meant I had unfortunately got, dare I say, poo on my hand. Oh, no. And I had nowhere and no means of dealing with it. And even worse than that, in, in my panic, I accidentally put more of the said same material on my other hand <laughs> and by mistake picked up several items from the shopping basket, not realising I now infected them as well. Mm. And I thought, oh, dear Lord above, what on earth am I going to do here? <laughs> because I can either run out the store screaming, obviously, option number one, don't draw attention to yourself, Burks. Option number two, <laughs> try and be calm and collected and try and find a solution. So I collected my thoughts thought, right, I need to go and get material and equipment. So I, I, I managed to sort myself out without there being any unpleasant consequences for anybody else involved. And the joy of, of self-service shopping, of course, in Morrison's is you can kind of don't have to uh, work with other people, such as cashiers, who therefore didn't have to get anywhere near to my circumstance. <laughs> and I managed, therefore, by stealth and by luck to get away with it. But do you know what taught me a big, 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 big lesson? Okay. Never, ever take it for granted. Never think I'll be okay because it, it has a mind of its own on occasions okay. and it will try and catch you out. It, it's a mischievous devil. <laughs> you know, so, so don't give it that opportunity. And it reminded me also of an incident that took place in November of 2020 when mm. I was uh, meeting Princess Anne at a big swanky affair in London <laughs> at a, a rather large hotel. And I was presented to her, I've met her several times before. And she said, I don't know, where are you from? And, and my stoma bag 
basically gave her the description of where I was from on its own. <laughs> it just repeated this horrendously loud noise. She looked at me. I looked at her. And the, the people around and the photographers kind of looked at each other. No one said a <laughs> word. No one, no one to say, really. So I said nothing. But she was magnificent in her understanding mm. uh, of, of accepting. I, thought, I think she knew what was going on. But in all fairness to her, she being the uh, professional act that she is, she was stoic and majestic yeah. towards the end. Yeah. So what I, what I like about the stories that you tell and the way that you tell them is that you're, you're not embarrassed about your stoma bag. You're, mm. you're not trying to hide the fact. Nope. I mean, well, you do keep it underneath <laughs> your clothes. But um, I, I could imagine that, for a lot of people it is something that they don't like to share to people oh, um, and i'm sure that there is a, a, a big stigma and taboo so i think the the fact that you're so open about it that you're happy to tell these embarrassing stories um on a podcast like this and that you have your own blog where you're sharing your, your stories and i think it's Absolutely. great that you're helping to make it easier for other people to live with a stoma bag well thank you i mean i mean the logic behind the the website first of all came from my wonderful partner yvonne who sort of said you should be doing something with this this is interesting stuff yeah. and it's not it's not bad stuff it so the first blog we wrote was called any stoma in any any port in a stoma i think it was okay. actually sorry and, and it was about the whole idea of living with the stoma bag and i remember and shortly after i got it, i was in hospital and, and there was one night there was as is the case in hospital wards ships in the night this young lad came in and neither could sleep. It was probably about 10, 11 o'clock. The others were all sleeping away. And he said to me, um, I'm, I'm appalled at the fact that at the age of 23, I'm never going to get a girlfriend because who's going to come near me with this? Mm. And I said, oh, whoa, 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 hang on. I said, look, people don't judge you on what you've got hanging out of your, your tummy. They judge you on your personality. I said, they judge you on who you are and, and yeah. what you are. And he said, well, you know, I said, how do you meet girls? He said, oh, I had match.com and plenty of fish and all this. I said, he said to me, how do you meet girls? I said, well, back in the day, it was barn dances, quite frankly, you know, <laughs> and dosy doing and stuff like that. And so we had this conversation. I sort of said to him, why don't we set up a sort of a, um, you know, stoma bag meets uh, Tinder kind of thing called a stomder. So basically, anybody with a stoma bag can meet somebody else's stoma bag. Therefore, you've gone through all the. You all know what the yeah. what, what, what the equalities are. You all know what the, the the you know the limitations are. Could be a means of bonding for people. Well, he kind of yeah. liked the idea, but he disappeared the next day, never to be seen again. Oh. <laughs> so I never quite found out. But I think, in terms of sort of acceptance, that's the hardest thing people have to do mm. and, and, and and deal with, is this whole thing about change. But life is always about change, you know. That it's always about reevaluating what you do and, and, and adjusting accordingly. Mm. And it could be cancer, it could be COVID, it could be anything that people have in this awful time we live in. But the reality is, it's how you deal with it. It's what your approach is. It's, it's what your strength is going to be. If you give up, if you give in, guess what's going to happen? And I've seen it happen. I've seen people literally two or three times in the chemo ward and where so and so. Well, sorry, they didn't make it. Oh, right. and that's how wow. tough it is, you know. And bowel cancer is particularly bad because it's more elderly people. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're in their seventies and eighties. I'm sixty-one. So basically, those guys who, who've gone through a, a good life in many cases and sort of think, well, actually, I've, seen, I've talked to people about it before, had some frank discussions about living with dying and, and mm. the acceptance of death. And, and that's something else which I think is also an important part of this. You know, you cannot negate the two. Cancer kills a lot of people and it's there. That's what it's designed to yeah. try and do is to get you. And I've come to terms in my own head about how that works and what that means. And I just take the view that, you know, it's 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 from the film Gladiator, you know, the classic scene with Russell, what's his face, Crow, and his, his mate keeps saying, it's your turn, but not yet. And okay. I, I keep taking that same, it's not my turn, not yet. And I'm going to keep putting that turn off yeah. as long as I humanly can. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of things to do. And it's quite ironic because... Um, in October 2019, my oncologist said to me, do you want to know your prognosis when cancer came back a second time? 
<coughs> excuse me, I made the mistake of saying yes. And he said, well, you've got a 25% chance of lasting two years. Wow. Boom. I mean, straight between the eyes, you know. I mean, it's quite funny because when they tell you this stuff, he goes, we'll call it a quiet room. There's a box of <laughs> tissues waiting. They're not for him, by the way. They're for you, you know. Yeah. And ironically, I didn't find myself getting emotional or crying or anything. I just thought, I don't think so. And two days later, we went to a wedding. And um, long story short, there was a, a woman there who was a, a gypsy fortune teller. <laughs> and uh, we had a couple of G&Ts quite late at night and thought, we'll have a go at this. So I walked up to her and um, she said, do you want to do a hand reading or tarot? I said, do my hand. And she came out with this remarkable stuff. I mean, the first thing she said is, you're ill. And she said, is it either cancer or, or it's your breathing? I said, it's cancer. She said, it's come back. I said, yeah. And then she told me all this stuff. And I thought, how on earth can you know this? And then she said to me, do you want to know how old you're going to be before you die? I said, uh, go on then. She said, Hold me, show me your hand. She'll be 82. I wow. said, I'll take that. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, whether or not, you know, it's proven to be the case, but it did give me some degree wow. of comfort. And yeah. I thought to myself, you know, she's a, uh, she had a, an excellent kind of a trip advisor rating, so as far as I was concerned. You know, her, her, her prognosis is far better than what I had to live with. And by well, the way, you know, still here. Well, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I, her prognosis is much better than the doctor's, so <laughs> let, let's go with hers. Sure. Um, I, I just want to find out now a little bit more about chemotherapy, because you've yep. mentioned it a couple of times um, that you've been through... Well, I know the, the first time you had, was it 13? I think it was, yeah. Um do they call them doses of chemotherapy? Yeah, cycles, you know, cycles. Call it what you like, yeah. Um, and before you mentioned that you've had 50 in total. It's, it, by the time I finish this little lot, yeah, it'll be up around there. So yeah. that's that's a lot. a lot, isn't it? It is. And can you talk about what it's like to get the, the chemotherapy and what yeah. some of the negative side effects are Absolutely. that you have? So basically, I mean, it's probably worth explaining that I've had four different cycles of, of chemotherapy. Some are, are more brutal and more difficult and challenging than others. Um, some only last three and a half hours. My present, let's focus on the present one, which is probably the, the longest serving one and, mm -hmm. and the toughest one by far. So my cycle is on a Monday, I have a, a blood test. If that's okay, on a Wednesday, I report to hospital at 8.30. Then it's eight and a half hours or nine hours of solid chemo. Wow. What happens there is they strap you into this, I've got a thing in my chest called a port. Yeah. And the saline drip, which contains very strong chemicals. There are four of those for two hours each. And there's an injection, which they stick into your arm. And the way they describe the injection, they say, if you've been stung by a bee... Okay. I was like, well, I can't remember. It was about nine. And then before you know where you are, bang, you know, it doesn't hurt that much. It's like okay. having molten sort of lava pumped in your arm for about 30 seconds, but then it goes. But after that, what they then do is they strap you up to this, what they call a balloon, which is basically an extremely toxic cocktail. And that drips into this port in your chest for 48 hours. And it's carried in a little bag. And you look like a St. Bernard dog, with, except it's not brandy, sadly, <laughs> which it was. But it's just this toxic stuff. And you get used to it. You know, it's a nuisance. It falls out of bed. It does this, it does that. But again, you just carry on regardless. And then after that, you then have basically extreme steroids, very strong stuff. And then there's five days of stum daily stomach injections where you inject yourself with 40 million units. And I've never worked out the units are, but it sounds like an awful lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's designed for my bone marrow, which is actually quite weak. Okay. So there's that two-week cycle. And effectively, on the back of that, the, the side effects are quite noticeable. So briefly, in my case, it results in two days of extreme, sometimes four days of extreme fatigue, nausea, which they gave you really good tablets for. So okay. just be sensible, get rid of those, but you're still, you know, a bit sick. The stoma bag has a side effect. The worst part for me has been this 
what I call brittle skin syndrome, where it dries your skin out so badly, you end up looking like you've got constant dandruff and you've got skin falling off your face, mm. off your arms, off your legs. It's a bit unsightly. It's not very nice. It, it can be painful. You have a shower, you wipe your face, it bleeds a bit, you get on with it. Mm. But even worse than that, what we also get, the side effect of that is you get in my feet, and a karate instructor, this is a big problem, the feet split the skin. So Ouch. you get these these vistas and they keep extending extending but they give this great super glue <laughs> so you can glue them back up again <laughs> which is fine so you just stick them back together and off you go <laughs> okay. and to get the same on, on, on your digits so I've got plasters yeah, on my hands here yeah. simply because on the extremes of your fingers and thumbs you get these deep cuts and they're damned annoying because they're in the worst possible places but again you, you take the glue you put a plaster on you put a glove on you work around it there's always a solution so whilst in isolation they sound nasty and unpleasant collectively you can take the view they're awful and ghastly but actually they keep you alive and it's all part of the process and from my point of view you know this chemo tough and brutal though it's been the good news is that the bigger tumor which is deep inside my scar tissue is actually um starting to shrink which oh is wow phenomenal, well, you know, that, so that's amazing it is i mean i've been there before and yeah. uh, you know it lulls you into a false sense of security okay but at the end of the day i'll take that any day of the week and uh, you know bearing in mind my second surgery which was cancelled the night before because right in the middle of COVID, um, you know, which was pretty horrific, five and a half hours. And yeah. two of the fantastic surgeons, uh, to quote one of me, said, you've been gutted like a fish, which I thought was a great <laughs> expression. Thanks very much. Oh, that was the title of one of your blog articles <laughs> as well. So I was having a look through some of the articles earlier today. Right. Um, so how did COVID affect your cancer treatment that you've been having? Well, I was remarkably lucky, actually, because uh, when COVID kicked in, I was already in isolation because the cancer um, prior to the operation had got so bad that I couldn't leave the flat. The reason being that basically um, the cancer of the rectal stomach got so bad, I was bleeding profusely virtually 24 hours a day. And I actually kept a log of how many times I went to the toilet. And the most I went in one day was 63 times. Wow. And quite literally. I mean, when I say use the lavatory, what I mean is you don't use it in a normal sense. You just have a constant flow of mucus and blood and other nasty things coming out of you. Oh, gosh. I have to say, in terms of my physical speed, Usain Bolt and I, I think, on an equal par. <laughs> my ability to get from the lounge to the, the said lavatory was extraordinarily quick. Okay. But it was also knackering because you couldn't sleep. As soon as you slept, you had to wake up and go. So I had all that in February and March. Then, then the actual, you know, I was I was highly vulnerable, of course. Mm. So I was on Mr. Johnson's list, but I used again that time because I was locked into my flat. I used that time to sort of try and use that as productive as possible. And then the night before the operation, it got cancelled at five o'clock. Yeah. And the only way I could do it is to have to pay for it privately, which is a whole nightmare in its own because all the banks were shut. There was nothing open. But we managed to get that sorted out and then um, spent, you know, five days, six days in the priory and came out. Yeah, and you were so unlucky with that because you were supposed to have the operation on the NHS, but because of COVID all of the resources were were taken yep. up with dealing with covid Absolutely. which means that you then had to pay a lot of money to do it privately i, I was very blessed really my family my mum yeah. especially the bank of mum my age came to the rescue which is fortunate <laughs> but in all fairness what was odd was when i was in the intensive care unit there's only me and one other person in there but they converted that into a covid unit while we we're there okay. so i used covid as a means to um develop myself not only with a karate examination but also i finished writing a book which is a book of blogs got that off to the publishers also landscape my garden i actually learned how to cook properly for the first <laughs> time in years because my oncologist said looks stop eating processed food, did all that kind of stuff. So I used that as a means of 
generating positives rather than sort of looking at negatives. Yeah, definitely. And something else that you've done is you've ridden 300 miles on your <laughs> on your bike, your exercise bike that you've got in your lounge yeah. to raise money and to raise awareness for, for cancer, which is well, an amazing thing to do in <laughs> itself. So you're doing all of the, the karate stuff and you're riding 300 miles. How did you ma- how did you manage to do that? And what was it hard? Well, yes, it was a similar thing. <laughs> it was much harder than I thought. It was, it was ironic because, again, my wonderful partner, Yvonne, um, decided that raising money for Cancer Research UK would be a great thing. So in, in, in 2018, she signed me up to do stand-up comedy at the Glee Club, yeah. which I did in front of 450 people, which is an amazing experience. And then um, when I was away at the gym, again, there's a pattern here, I came back and found out I'd been signed up to do 300 miles for the uh, Cancer Research UK <laughs> cycle ride. So we agreed between the two of us to do it. Had I realised how hard it was going to be, I don't know if I'd have done it, but just to explain, we didn't actually use bicycles that were actually outside of the home. So yeah. I've got a static bike and we've got what they call a turbocharger on that. And we used a thing called Swift, which is basically a an ability to compete anywhere in the world with anybody else. And it's very, very good. So we used that as the means of doing the mileage. But seriously, it was tough. But we raised 2,000 quid. And uh, the good news is that, uh, again, I went to the gym on a Saturday, recently came back and found out I've been signed up again to do comedy at the Glee Club. Oh, have so, you? Oh, I didn't, <laughs> yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm afraid I have, yeah. So I'm not mentioning any names. But yeah, so um, I'm going to be back. Excellent. And when is that going to be? 21st of November. Uh, okay. And, and, and interesting enough, if, if people can't sleep, then uh, the first <laughs> the first gig I did, which is five minutes uh, at the Glee Club, is on the actual Bag for Life video. Okay. So um, if, you, if you're having trouble nodding off, that'll send you off. So well, lovely. And, um, so you'll be busy writing your new material I've for that. I've started already, my friend. Okay. And it's, it's surprisingly hard, actually, because you have to write everything, present it, and deliver it. And okay. you never know until you get on that stage in front of 450 unknown faces whether yeah. or not you're going to be funny or not. And it's a cruel, but it's also, if it goes well, <laughs> an, a, a, a euphoric experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it is. So now I want to go into the bag for life because we've mentioned it a few times now. Um I was having a look through it earlier today and I was really amazed at how many articles there are. There's a lot of them there, which I think is a great way of you sharing your story to other people. I'm sure it must be a really good way for you documenting it almost like a a journal or a diary. What was your inspiration for starting it in the first place? Easy, really. It, It was the fact that when I got diagnosed, I looked around to try and find a source of information and i found lots and lots of medical blogs about people living with cancer and i found a few blogs of people whose stories were remarkably sad and appeared to be tragic and i thought well that's not really what i want to read if i'm perfectly honest so i thought well to hell with it i'll start writing my own and it was really inspired around the fact that i thought i'm just going to share the journey the good the bad and the ugly parts of it and you know it was designed originally to be quite light-hearted and to sort of say to people you can live with it and poke fun at it a wee bit you know yeah but then bit by bit at different times and again you mentioned earlier back in the interview dark side and there are dark times don't get me wrong you know i've had insomnia for three years so you get a lot of time to think in the early mm. hours of the morning but that inspired me to write a great deal because you get the silence you get your thoughts and i've been writing blogs for a number of years anyway so it was kind of an add-on to a previous life but for me it was a means i think of cathartic 
Catholicism and confessional. I kind of use that as my as my means of sort of getting it off my chest, for want of a better word. And uh, and and sometimes I found it extremely useful because I could sort of rant to myself about whatever it was I wanted to rant about, and then all of a sudden I felt I sort of purged that that negativity. Um, but I would say on average, most of the blogs I think are quite upbeat. There are some which are, I've had a few people say to me, that's quite, that's quite tough. Mm. It's a tough read to have, but you can't sugarcoat this. You know, having cancer is not fun. It's not an easy thing to live with, but you can live with it and you can make the most of it. Mm. And, and dare I say, you can enjoy a life as full and as rich as you want it to be. And, and it, I'll say this without any, any irony. People have said this to me before they found it quite hard to believe, but since I've been diagnosed with cancer, the richness of my life has actually been fulfilled and, and, and expanded rather than reduced. And the reason for that is because this enormous well and outpouring of kindness and affection and love I've got from all over the place, from all sorts of different people all over the world, from different parts and chapters of my life, has been almost hard to put a price on. You know, and, and it keeps you sustained, it keeps you strong in those dark times. And I've been very blessed with that. And, and to be honest with you, it's a way of saying thank you to those people and maybe giving those like me who back in the day hadn't got any source of reference mm. to have at least a source of reference. And that was purely where it came from. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And and I know from from going through the the blog articles and and seeing the the videos as well that you've put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, and it is a great source of information. And I, I think the way that you write it is very open and honest. So you can poke fun at it at times, but you are on, brutally honest about the the things that are not nice as well. So it's it's not like trying to be um, uh, Pollyanna, is that the right thing? Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. You have yeah. your, your rose-tinted glasses on, yeah. uh, but it's not all doom and gloom. It's it's a very honest account, which I, I think is a, an excellent thing to do. Well, thank you. That, that, that That's very kind of you. And, and I think in all fairness, you know, the inspiration of this goes right back to, to Ivana in all fairness and, and, and others who've been kind enough to sort of guide me. What's been interesting and, and on occasions difficult is I, I get this kind of writer's block where suddenly I can be inspired to write three or four blogs in the space for a week, then all of a sudden I get two, three, four weeks mm. where nothing comes into my head but you know what at the end of the day if one person gets one value from it as far as i'm concerned yeah. i've been very lucky really i've had people comment all over the world you know who've referred it to relatives been diagnosed or people they know okay. who are scared maybe about maybe having the symptoms and my message is very clear you know if in doubt don't be don't 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 be like me don't be too english don't go okay gp you're the man in charge i'll do what you say if i'd listen to my conscience if i'd listen to my girlfriend who's far less you know, <laughs> English about it than I, I was, probably because she's German, to be fair. But <laughs> in all fairness, if, if I'd done that, I would never be in the situation I was in. If I'd mm. insisted and be more sort of assertive rather than just, okay, fine, you carry on, then I'd be in a different situation, but I didn't. Mm. So, you know, please don't let anybody else fall into that trap. And that's that's great advice to give. So what are the symptoms that people should be looking out for with bowel yep. cancer? First of all, changing bowel habits. Okay. Number one, um, things that aren't the same. So when you say changing bowel habits, does that yep. mean you're doing a number two yep. more or less? Basically, what it means is invariably the frequency increases, but the okay. there is say the 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 fluidity also. Okay. So from having without being too crude, yeah. but hard stools to suddenly having things that aren't so hard, and all of a sudden detecting blood. That's okay. a key issue. Blood in stools is, is that's a, it is literally a red flag. And if you see that, you know, even in, it, most people go, oh, it'll go away soon. Well, it doesn't go away. Okay. And actually, the longer you leave it, the worse it gets. That's the point you need to bang on the door. The other side effects of that are weight loss. 
my weight disintegrated quite quickly actually oh, right. i was still training and doing karate and all that stuff at the same time were you still eating normally um I was, but I noticed my appetite diminished significantly okay. and my intake got less and less. My energy levels also plummeted. I felt a lot more lethargic, a lot less energized. Um, so there were definite telltale times. I mean, all, all the cancer sort of websites tell you the same things anyway. Yeah. But, but actually, the first thing is that change in habit. Once you notice a change that things aren't what they were, don't just ignore it, you know. Mm. And, and then when you start to notice other things beyond that, then that's the time to really, you know, don't take no for an answer. If you're not sure, get a second opinion. If you're not mm. sure if you can afford it, go private. If you're not sure, borrow the money and go private. Reassure yourself. Because trust me, once, once you leave it too late, and sadly, the harsh reality is that if you make the mistake of going to Dr. Google and all this kind of stuff, which I <laughs> refuse to do, but if you do, it'll tell you if you've got stage four bowel cancer, 20% will make five years. That's, wow. that's the average they use. I never took any notice of that because they're using averages of people in their 80s and whatever. And, and I thought, well, I'm not that person anyway. But actually, you know, again, if, if you if you let your mind go down that path, oh dear, you know, then guess what? You know, it builds up and up. Doubt sets in. You can't afford to let that happen. You've got to keep that purpose. You've got to keep that positivity. Mm. And you've got to believe in that sort of, in, 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 in your success and, and in your survival. Yeah. And I, I think... Everything that comes across from everything that you've been talking about is that attitude of not giving in to the cancer and not just accepting that it's going to beat you, but learning to live with it, yep. but also having that resolve and that fortitude to say, no, mm. I'm I'm going to carry on living for yep. as long as I possibly can. Absolutely. And I think that that mental attitude that you that you have um, and also the physical fitness that you that you have has has really um, been testament to, to how you've been able to, to beat it twice and hopefully a third time. Well, hopefully indeed. But thank you. I mean, from my point of view, really, at the end of the day, as I said to people, you know, there's nothing special at all about me. I'm purely just an average bloke who happened to get cancer. Mm. But I decided not to let it define me and beat me. And so far, thank the Lord, it's worked. Yeah. So I've I've just got one more question for you now, which, as you know, this podcast is called Your Tagline Here. So we get all of our guests to come up with the tagline for the episode. Now, I know what your tagline is going to be, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to ask you anyway, uh, what is your tagline for the episode? Oh, thanks for asking me something. Or you, or you might question. surprise me and you might come up with something else. Well, the obvious answer would be, you know, obviously, www, whatever tagline is, never give up, never give in. Yeah. Obviously, that, that that's my sort of carte blanche reply. But I think the other maybe sort of off the cuff tagline would be, you know, why let yourself be a victim? Why let why let yourself be a victim? Why why can't you beat the odds? You know, other people do. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be somebody else. It can be you. You've just got to believe in that and you've got to live that. And I think if, if one person can take that motto on board and make a success of it and enjoy a rich, fulfilled and, and a happy life. And as I said before, you know, slight adjustment, forgive me, going a slight tangent, but the things I've experienced since I got cancer and the people I've met and all the wonderful things that have happened far outweigh the humdrum mundane life I led before, which wow. is all about businesses making money and about having material possessions. That disintegrates overnight. And what really matters at the end of the day is who you are, what you do, what your footprint is, and if you make a better difference rather than a worse one. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Austin, for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for being so open and honest about it. I'm sure that it's in, well, it's inspiring for me, but it will be inspiring for, for people who are watching or listening, um, whether they have cancer or whether they don't have cancer, because it is, yeah, a, 
a, a really good story about how your mental attitude can help to overcome adversity in your life. Well, thank you, Simon. And, and you know, I have to say also, well done on, on you on doing these these podcasts. I think they're really Thanks. important. And each person's got a story to tell. And if we can all, you know, learn from that, that's fantastic. But thank you. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Great. Thanks, Austin. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks again to Austin for uh, coming in and sharing his story. If you liked this episode, then please do give us a like um, and subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss out on any future co uh, content. If you do have any questions that you have for Austin or for me, then you can send us an email to hello at yourtaglinehere.com. Next week, I'm going to be speaking to Donna Joseph, and she's going to be talking about how she found her biological family and now she's moving to the Caribbean as a result. So I will see you there next time. Mm -hmm.